The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Lower Decks, and pathological fallacies. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga. Hey, Father Corey. I'm impressed you got that right on the first try. <laughs> you think How's that's the going? first try? I've been practicing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, be sure to stick around, folks, to the end of the episode. We have more of your great listener feedback that we'd love to discuss. And I want to encourage you to check out your very own, get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt or other merchandise by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy is The Secrets of Doctor Who, which you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. And now's a great time to subscribe if you haven't yet, because the 14th Doctor specials are coming. So we definitely want to check those out when they when they come out. All right. So let's talk about empathological fallacies. Jimmy, can you give us a recap? This week, for the first time, we get a Talin-centric episode. Yay! Mm -hmm. Talin is finding it increasingly challenging to be on the Cerritos, and she's trying to send a message to her former Vulcan captain so she can get off this crazy human ship. Only she can't send it because the ship is in a security blackout. The reason is that this year's season arc of the mystery ship that's been attacking all over the quadrant has begun to impact the actual plot. And three Betazoid ambassadors are on board on some kind of mission to help with the mystery ship problem. And the crazy human ship is crazier than normal. It appears that the three Betazoid ladies who are at that uncomfortable wanton age like Lexana Troy have Zendai's fever, which caused Mrs. Troy to broadcast her own chaotic emotions into other people on Deep Space Nine, which is why the Cerritos crew is acting really crazy. Only, it turns out, they aren't the cause. In fact, the Betazoid's emotions are crazy messed up, too. Instead, Talin has developed Vulcan Bendai Syndrome, which Spock's dad had in The Next Generation. So this is a Vulcan emotion broadcasting disease rather than a Betazoid emotion broadcasting disease. Talin has been feeling that something is wrong with her, that she isn't Vulcan enough, and her obsession with sending the message has caused her to start experiencing Bendai Syndrome at a prematurely young age. But Mariner talks sense into her, causing the syndrome to subside, and everyone goes back to normal. But before that happens, the three Betazoid ambassadors are revealed to be Betazoid intelligence agents, and they've been sent on a multi-planet mission to telepathically snoop for clues about the mystery ship. With their cover blown, they take and their emotions crazy, they take control of the Cerritos while most of the crew is acting crazy, and they're about to fly the ship through the neutral zone on their way back to Beta Z. Meanwhile, Boimler has been putting too much stress on himself, so Rutherford has the security team try to help him out. But from the non-violent activities they do with him, Boimler begins to think that the security team is a joke. He's proved wrong once, the, once Captain Freeman sounds red alert after the Betazoid takeover, and the security team springs into action and totally kicks Betazoid intelligent agent butt. After which, Captain Freeman keeps the ship from entering the neutral zone. It turns out that the security team was 
was looking out for Boimler's emotional security by trying to give him a day off. And with the Betazoid's emotions back in control, they leave the Cerritos. But before they go, they give Captain Freeman a fuzzy surveillance photo that was captured of the destructive mystery ship. The end. All right. Uh, Father Corey, overall impression? This was, it was kind of fun. Um, it was a very, a fairly mature episode as, as far as there are, there is very much material in here that is not for, not for young viewers, <laughs> uh, in my opinion, but it was, it was, it was kind of fun. It was kind of, uh, interesting because they, they, they twisted on a couple, uh, issues of, with emotions and emotional control and things like that, that has been talked about before in Star Trek. And they kind of turned it on its head a little bit, which of course you would expect from lower decks. So that was, that was kind of fun. And then of course, Boimler's reaction to seeing security, just, you know, doing anything but kicking butt was a lot of fun too. <laughs> that was actually a lot more fun, I think. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, how about you? I thought it was nice. I thought it had a nice mystery action plot. Um, you know, there's action in the later part of the episode, but there's a substantial mystery component to it as well as they're solving the problem and figuring out what's going on. And it's not what you think. Um, it was funny as usual. And I, I didn't notice it being particularly family unfriendly, but I tend to just, I tend to just ignore such content. It doesn't make much of a dent. Um, the uh but i enjoyed it i thought it was a fun episode i also liked the fact that they had betazoid intelligence because betazoids are vastly more telepathic than vulcans you know they don't have to touch you to read your mind and so they it is not obvious if a betazoid is reading your mind and they would make ideal intelligence agents in fact they have a if this were the babylon 5 universe rather than the star trek universe betazoids would be perceived as a major threat to every <laughs> other species right um and and so i could imagine why betazed doesn't isn't hasn't progressed as a military power because they don't need to. They're secretly running the show <laughs> yeah. on multiple planets with no one realizing it. Beta Z would be the Psychors. Yeah. Yeah, level 14 Psychor. Uh yeah. <laughs> the uh yeah, I like this one too. Like as far as the mature stuff, like it seems like Lower Decks every season has to have a very mature, very, you know, adult uh, episode this didn't rise to the level of the mugato episode or no, the no. peanut hamper there was a few no. th references to things that's that's i i, I wouldn't be any uncom window was all i noticed yeah. yeah um some of it a little broader than usual let's put, put it that mm -hmm. way and um mm -hmm. so it, you know i had someone ask me should you know is this a, a a show that i could watch with my kids and i said probably not you know, you're you're yeah. you probably at don't least, want to at least watch an episode first and then you can decide if it's appropriate for your kids. Right. And there are episodes that are fine for kids to watch. I mean, they're no worse than a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. So, right. So that would be fine. Um, all right. So, you know, g getting into the episode itself. So we have this Talyn focus, which I think is fun. I like having Talyn as a focus. She's an interesting yeah. character. She's different from all the others. So that's kind of fun. We didn't have a Vulcan character in Star Trek. If Nothing else has got to have a Vulcan character in there somewhere. Uh, so it was nice. I like that we didn't have to wait as many seasons to get a Talyn centric episode as we did for the other character. Some of the other characters to get right. their backstories. Right, right. It was. Yeah, this was good. 
And, uh, you know, we had her log where she's talking about her concerns about what's happening on this ship and just having to be there. Um, and then we get these Beta Z diplomats showing up mm -hmm. who were on Angel One, which, again, one of the worst first season episodes of TNG. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, um, and, and Angel One, for people who may not remember, is a... a is a planet dominated by women who ha are as sexist towards men as men in the 1950s were perceived to be towards women. Mm. <laughs> Very good. So, so they'll, 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 they'll matronize you like crazy. <laughs> right. And so they, and they, and they're headed to Risa, which is like another party planet. Party. Yeah. Another party planet. Yeah. Yes. Debauchery planet. De yes. And, uh, they come across initially as just glorified party girls, right? They're just kind mm -hmm. of, they even have the long, like yard long dr plastic drink cups <laughs> that you get on Bourbon Street in, in New Orleans, you know, that sort of thing, or spring break. So they, they come across, clearly it's this misdirection, which is fun, to, that they come across as vapid party girls. And they, you know, they, they even our first encounter with them, they're, um, making innuendos at different characters and Ransom's trying to ingratiate himself, but he's too eager and gets shot down, yeah. which I thought was funny. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, which, which actually only plays into the fact that this is later revealed to all be a ruse. Yes. She's not really interested in him. And so when yep. he suddenly is eager, she's got to back off. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, and by the way, the, the three beta Z uh, women are played by three comic actresses that you might know of Rachel Dratch from Saturday Live as well as other things plays mm -hmm. Dolorex Janelle James plays Catrot she's been in stuff I haven't seen so I, I didn't know her mm -hmm. but also Wendy Malick uh, is Cathew mm -hmm. um, three, so. three women I don't know <laughs> right. okay uh, you might recognize their faces if you saw them like you know uh, probably you know, not but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I recognize at least two of the names and uh, the, the third one mm -hmm. has also been in a bunch of comic things I like one of the running jokes they establish um, when they take one of the ambassadors to sickbay. Doctor, it, it, they introduce this joke where Dr. Ta'ana reveals that it's like, oh, I didn't know they were serving a buffet. And, it, and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's quickly explained that in ancient times, Cations used to eat beta Zeds. <laughs> yeah. They used to hunt and eat them. But but now it, they just eat synthetic beta Z. And, and, <laughs> As if that's and, not awful. And, 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 yeah. the, and the thing is both. But I, I like the reconciliation here because both the, the beta Zoids and Dr. Ta'ana Anna are able to laugh about this. Nobody <laughs> is threatened. You know, it, right. we're, we're able to just laugh about this thing in the past and not take it seriously anymore. Right. <laughs> and then it which comes is, up which later. Is, yeah. Which is good because all, I mean, everybody's ancestors have grievances against everybody else's ancestors. Oh yeah. Um, no matter who you are, your mm -hmm. ancestors were both oppressors and victims. Right. Yep. And if, and we can't maintain indignance over historical errors indefinitely. At some point, we have to be able to laugh about what happened in the past, including our homo sapien and, and homo neanderthalensis ancestors and the shenanigans they got up to. <laughs> right. I'm sure I have some some ancestral grievance against both of you. So but I'll let it go yeah. for now. And likewise. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, as you mentioned, Boimler is still going through his like new promotion 
jitters and problems as he like his neuroses. And uh, so now he figures as a junior officer, he needs to memorize the names and faces of every crew member on board the ship. And now the Cerritos is a relatively small ship. But still, yeah. that's a lot of names and faces to memorize. And it's a couple hundred people. I can't is remember. It, is it, though? It's not really that much bigger than the periodic table. And I've memorized that. We're talking, well, we're talking about normal people, Jimmy, not people with, uh, with <laughs> superior <laughs> memories and intellect. Okay. I, no, I think anybody can memorize the periodic table. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's doable, just most people won't. Yes. Uh, I know this Californium and Einsteinium. There you go. There you go. There are two down, 116 <laughs> to go. <laughs> I'll work on it for next week. Uh, well, I like the, that there's like three of them that have like the same name, but there's like a different title to them. <laughs> right, right. It's slightly <laughs> different. And uh, and so Rutherford sees he's getting uptight. And so he goes to Shaxx to put Boimler through the program and it sounds very sinister like very deep well they even do like the darkening yeah. you know light <laughs> and everything as he says it i still love that shacks is calls calls the him baby bear like he calls like yeah. the ones yep. he takes under his wing baby bear i just <laughs> i really like shacks and i'm glad mm-hmm. he, he, he undied uh in, yeah. <laughs> in the program so uh i wish they'd clarify though i like his replacement whose name i always forget from the children of tama mm-hmm. um but uh Kayshawn, yeah. yeah but i and I, I i like having both of them on the program i wish they would clarify like what's their relationship there because it, it's kind of like they're sort of both head of security but some Kayshawn's second in command in security yeah, probably yeah I don't know. I they they both were introduced as head of security, and they've never really clarified that. <laughs> Co-heads, <laughs> the two-headed mm-hmm. security. Um, so that we have this this rapid buildup of people's emotions kind of running wild. There's this party going on in the in the uh, crew lounge, um, and the first indi- I think indication that something's gone wrong is when Doctor Migliemo, the the bird counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, gets the gets the wrong kind of soup out soup. of the replicator. He wanted regurgitated soup, and this doesn't taste like it's been in his mother's mouth at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he shoots it, and uh, and that seems to be the thing that. And then everyone just starts going wild and crazy, and people are acting out of character. So m- more mm-hmm. crazy than usual on the on the street. Or some some are out of character, and then you got Tendy, who's just slightly amped up yeah, Tendi's yeah. Just, slightly yeah a little more friendly than than normal a little more emotional yeah. than usual I, I like with dr dr miglimo's uh regurgitated soup because that is if you if you've ever watched baby birds in a nest mm-hmm. that's how they feed yes. they're, yep. they're they're confined to the nest and mom comes up and regurgitates into their mouths and so yep. it, you if as a member of a bird species it's quite possible that's the way dr miglimo was raised just like yep. mom used to regurgitate yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is a good i should have used that line in them in there uh, so the initial um assumption is that the betazoid women are going through this this middle age thing where the this this betazoid menopause that it, yep. yeah um causing the problem and that's that's a nice little misdirection and it also we end up kind of points out that we've had basically two alien mm-hmm. species who go through this uh, mm-hmm. aging Too telepathic yeah yeah the aging process that ends up affecting everybody around them so kind of funny that i never realized it but it's kind of funny that they've done this twice uh, yeah the thing, think about that because you got you got uh luxwana troy 
who gets Xanthi fever, yep. which is their menopause, and of course causes all kinds of problems on the Enterprise D and all that. And then you've got Sarek with his Bendai syndrome, where he's old when he's mm-hmm. old. Yes, and that great that episode where Picard has to basically take all his emotions, so he doesn't broadcast them into everyone else. Yep. right. So he can and, he the- can, and he can finish the the Treaty? negotiations. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's actually now um, Luxana starts going through the change on next gen, but when she develops full blown Zendi fever and is broadcasting emotions into people, oh, that's, right. that's Deep Space Nine. That's yeah. right. I forgot. And yes. she's like making Jake have the hots for Major Kira and Odo's <laughs> experiencing things. And so, yeah. That was a funny episode. That was good. <laughs> and it had a surprisingly vulnerable ending where yeah. Odo, Odo, she and Odo are like trapped in a lift or something. That's she right. has to confess everything that's going on to him. And he's barely holding on to his corporeal form at this point because he desperately needs to regenerate. And she lets him turn to goo in front of her. Right. In her, in her dress. Like, in her dress. A, Holds him in her dress. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was, yeah, it was a typical good DS9 episode. Yeah. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Loxana Troy, but that was one of her best episodes. Yeah. So we, we eventually get it revealed to the whole thing that their bit is at intelligence, which as you mentioned, she, I think is a really kind of interesting and fun Idea. And it's not Federation intelligence that Betazoid, mm-hmm. Betazed has its own agenda, its own things going on. And actually, there was a discussion on our Discord in our spoiler channel after this mm-hmm. episode about how Betazed, they may have lingering uh, trust issues after having mm-hmm. been occupied by the Dominion during the war. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. To, wasn't that long before this that that would have happened. So, yeah, yeah, it makes sense that if they didn't have an intelligence agency before that happened, they definitely did after. Yeah. So it, it's yeah, it would be interesting to, to think. And it's and it's the thing I like about Lower Decks is it's all kind of farce and funny. And but there's they're thinking about these things in the background, too. There's it's there, you know, it's there mm-hmm. to be picked up. And imagine the rivalries that must exist between Section 31 and Beta Z Intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know who would have the advantage, though. <laughs> That's all the more why Section 31 would have to keep a close eye on them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did like their 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 weapons where they they look like lipstick tubes where they're actually batons with <laughs> shockers on the end. That was kind of cool. That was good. Um, <laughs> who is the guy who was the head of Section Thirty One originally? Oh, um, Luther Sloan. Sloan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching the the Pacific, which is the HBO miniseries about mm-hmm. the and he plays Chesty Puller in that one. And every time he comes on the oh, screen, nice. I'm thinking <laughs> it's Sloan <laughs> from Section Thirty One. Don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So um, we and then we get the twist, which is they t- they reveal they're not actually the ones amplifying everyone's emotions. It's actually uh, something else. And we find out that it's uh, Talin with the Bendai syndrome. And she and Mariner have to run from everyone else be- <laughs> from Tendi. Be my friend. Everyone make her be my friend because <laughs> because yeah. she, she's like not being she's being mean to Tendi. And uh, they hide in, in a supply room uh, from everyone. And this is where Mariner gets to Lynn to kind of open up and reveal what's mm-hmm. going on with her. It's kind of fun. Um, we find out about the Bendai syndrome and Mariner has a really good line here, which uh, I, I will edit because it's it. it, it anyway, um, a few bleeps in it. Yeah. She says, uh, you know, um, to Lynn thinks that having Bendai syndrome is a character flaw and Mariner assures her. Can you imagine anything more Vulcan than Bendai syndrome? Hello. I mean, Spock's dad had it and he was Vulcan as a bleeper, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. and bleep was the word was what they used. So, uh, yeah. so, so it, it was, it was nice. And then, um, 
Tillin responds, I suppose by the transitive property, I too must be Vulcan as a bleeper. And so it's yeah. a nice, funny well, moment. Can you, can you blame Tillin, though? I mean, have you been there when you need to send an email or you need to look something up and your internet is down? I mean, <laughs> is there anything more frustrating? No. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, and so in the end, she, you know, we have this whole thing where she's, she feels accepted. She's no longer trying to get off of the Cerritos back to her old ship that she feels at home here among, among these people. And that's two episodes in a row where at, in the end, Talyn kind of bucks the things that she's been asked to do. You know, she, the last mm-hmm. one, she was analyzing the, uh, the Orion culture and writing a report. Well, she wasn't asked to do that. That's right. She wasn't she, asked. She, yeah. she did right. cancel it in favor of friendship and used ethics as an excuse. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, it sort of does it again. And so she's really becoming part of this crew, which probably means that she'll be leaving to go back to her old ship at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I hope uh, not. Yeah, I hope not either. Um, meanwhile, Boimler and the security team are in some part of the ship that he's never been before so this Which is very surprising yes that yep. there's any inch of the cerritos boimler hasn't been to before <laughs> yeah and uh so the the program is apparently um security slam poetry uh starfleet security officer charades uh there was a tarot <laughs> where you, deck involved where, where, where you have to pretend to be another security officer in yep. starfleet and they guess who you are <laughs> yeah. and then i think yep. there was a jigsaw puzzle involving um malcolm reed malcolm from reed. And and also a tarot deck. Right. (laughs) So uh, and it turns out the program is about security guys able to bonding and having fun together. And that's and that's the whole thing. Just have a day off. Just relax. Right. Um, And then Boyle makes the really bad mistake of like saying, wow, that'd be you guys must be a bunch of wimps then because you, you take a day off and have fun. And oh, no, (laughs) no. Right at that moment. I want some action right at that moment red alert sounds right. and he's he's like oh oops <laughs> <laughs> so um one of the things that was weird about this though is is nobody in security or boimler were affected by Talin's emotional bendai syndrome well, must stuff. Have, I, I figured they were far enough away from yeah. the rest of it they they explain that in terms of it of, of proximity being oh, what induces it they I they see. threw in the word proximity a couple of times Okay. So it's like if they're, if they're down in the engineering section, which is way off of the, the cells and sh- and Talyn is up in the saucer section. Well, that should be far enough to sure. prevent it. Right. That's probably the Yeah, that's probably the case. So in the end, Mariner helps Talyn deal with her unresolved internal conflict and everyone calms down and we go our separate ways. Uh, was there anything else that I missed? Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Father Corey? So um, the beta heads when they take control of the ship. Uh, to return to Beta Z because their clover's been blown. They try to take a shortcut through the Romulan neutral zone. And of course, there's that last second. Literally, you see the little blinking lights, little beacons to show the line. Um, and there was a Romulan ship waiting there for them, you know, cloaked <laughs> waiting for them. And of course, they're all disappointed. I What would have been cool, I know you you couldn't do it without a different voice actor, but it would have been cool if it would have been Tomalak. 
<laughs> you know, but sadly, of course, with the death of Andres Kasulas, yeah. yeah, you couldn't do that unless, again, like I said, a different voice actor that could sound like him. That would just been cool to have him. <laughs> Tom Malak, it, 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 it would be really cool if it was Tom Malak. And I like and notice they didn't make a big deal of this, but the only apparently the only reason the Beta Zeds were willing to cut through the neutral zone was because their emotions were all on the Freds. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they never would have done that ordinarily. Right. Um, but I like how you know every time the Enterprise in Next Gen gets close to the neutral zone there's always a Romulan ship waiting right there <laughs> and more often than not it's Tomalock yeah right. and waiting for him and they have Picard. they have the the same one here and then the, when the Cerritos turns around all the Romulans are like Oh, and the commander, <laughs> the, the commander says, set course for section whatever. We'll lurk over there. Yeah, he does kind of the, the burns. Like, yeah, <laughs> we'll lurk over there. Yeah, that's right. That was that was that was just kind of a fun little little yeah. thing to throw in there. How about you, Jimmy? Any other notes? Nope. Okay, let's get to that feedback. Uh, so we have a couple bits of feedback on our last episode on the Something Borrowed, Something Green, which was about uh, Tendi's sister's wedding. And uh, Vince B. on our YouTube channel writes, the Southern accents, the Mark Twain accents, reminded mm-hmm. me of Dr. Alan Harrelson of the Pipe Cottage YouTube channel, uh, who yep. I wasn't familiar with before, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you guys know Dr. Harrelson. Yep. Yeah, I've spoken with him and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was just on uh, Matt Frad's Pints with Aquinas, which was dueling accents, Australian versus Kentucky. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I listened to uh, Dr. Harrelson, and he has he has a very strong Kentucky accent. <laughs> it's very strong. So, yeah. I mean, you, he really is. A, he has that accent where you could imagine with a pipe and a, a glass of Kentucky bourbon. Yes. I mean, he's just that accent fits with that so well. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the video I was watching, he was like talking and then he's talking, he's, he's uh, scolding his dog, getting into things. And it just was like sitting on the back porch, having a bourbon and uh, and all that. Yep. Yeah. So in this maybe so the correspondent said that the Mark Twain accents reminded reminded him of Dr. Uh, 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 yeah, this is something that um that may one's perception of this may depend on where you're from. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've noticed is for me growing up in the South geography, at least it, when I was a younger adult, I have a somewhat better grasp of it now, but once you get above the Mason Dixon line, geography gets fuzzy for me. Like mm-hmm. I thought for the longest time that New York was North of Boston because mm-hmm. New York in my mind was like, that must be the farthest North city that, there is, you know, it's the archetypal northern city. And mm-hmm. so there must not be anything significant to the north of New York City. Well, Boston is. So I always assumed Boston was south of New York City. And in the same way, I, I, my ear is, although it's trained, it's better these days because of my study of linguistics. My ear for accents gets fuzzy north of the Mason-Dixon line. I mean, I can tell the difference between a Kennedy-esque Boston accent and a typical New York, New Jersey accent mm-hmm. and a Wisconsin accent, but but the the subtleties of them and of other accents up there kind mm-hmm. of are a little fuzzy to me. And in the same way, there's not really one Southern accent. There are several different Southern accents. Mm-hmm. And you, one, if you're from the South, you can easily tell the difference between like yeah. a Virginia Tidewater accent and a Kentucky accent and a Missouri accent and a Texas accent and a Louisiana accent and so on. And um, to me, 
Dr. Harrelson's accent is very strong Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the Mark Twain accents. No, the historical Mark Twain was from Missouri. So he mm-hmm. would not have a Kentucky accent. He would have a Missouri accent, one of the Missouri accents. Um, yeah. But uh, he, those accents were fake. They were, they, they, they sound like weak imitations of a vaguely Southern accent that kind of maybe has a little bit of Missouri in it. Mm-hmm. But, but this was, you know, the actors who play Boimler, Rutherford, and Captain Freeman trying to fake it. <laughs> yeah. um, and so to me, it did not remind me of a strong Kentucky accent. I am from South Chelnoth. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Very effective yeah. South Chelnoth accent. <laughs> I mean, that was that was the point. Of, actually, the point of, of that whole thing, too, is that it was them trying to fake the accent. Yeah. And even... Even, even, you know, Captain Freeman calls that out. This is, you know, this is ridiculous. Now, we don't actually have recordings of Mark Twain, do we? No. Do, so whatever mm-hmm. accent we attribute to Mark Twain is based on somebody's interpretation of what he would have sounded like, yeah. I assume. Uh, there are scholarly ways of doing it, though. Um, one of the things, and he noted in, uh, actually, he actually commented on this in his, I guess, preface for Huckleberry Finn. Um, we have his draft of Huckleberry Finn, which he, you know, his first draft handwritten. And then we can see his annotations of how he modified the dialogue of individual mm. characters as he, as he, and he thought consciously about how these characters would speak. And in his preface to the book, he, he notes that if someone, thinks that the characters in this novel are trying to sound alike and failing mm-hmm. that's deliberate he's deliberately using different Missouri accents and dialogue and dialects for different characters based on their position in society so you can actually reconstruct from his and other information what the uh, uh, with a high degree of, of 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 reliability, what a 19th century, mid 19th century Missouri accent for someone of Mark Twain's social standing would have been. And linguists would not have a problem doing that. It's not so far mm-hmm. in the past. We can't reconstruct it. Yeah, when you talk about accents like this, I, there are several distinct Boston accents. It's not mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. one that you often hear parodied on. And stuff. Right. But and I could probably tell a difference between a Georgia, Kentucky. I can totally hear a Kentucky accent. That's that's something. And yeah. a Texas, but I'm not sure I could tell there's in Missouri and Kentucky or even yeah. the, the several different Missouri accents. Yeah. And where I well, live here in the Ozarks, it's kind of a blend. There is a distinct Ozark accent, but it's got elements of Texas in it and elements of Appalachia in it. And so it's kind of it's like all accents. It's a hybrid of other things. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, well, it's interesting too. You know, where Mark Twain is from is northern Missouri. Well, that area has now become more Midwestern mm-hmm. in its accent, which is the more flat accent that that you usually hear the news broadcast. At least used to be, all the news broadcasters in the United States would would have. Yes, that's the Tom Brokaw accent. Yep. <laughs> that's what I always think of it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, ask your parents who Tom Brokaw is, kids. Uh, so our next <laughs> feedback comes from the Sage of Rockasecca. Tom, Tom Tom Brokaw, biased late twentieth century. <laughs> Television <laughs> journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yes. Like the like the others. Uh, Sage of Rakaseka on YouTube. Uh, also on this episode uh, comments on our discussion about the uh, weddings and uh, you know marriage, the sacrament of marriage and abductions. He says, um, interestingly, the Eastern Code of Canon Law, Canon 806, uses the gender neutral persona 
in their version of the abduction impediment. Commenters state that for Eastern Catholics, this impediment also applies for the abduction of men. It would be interesting to look into those reasons for the disparity between the codes. It would be. I don't know. Um, I've never looked into that. I would suppose that. So the um, I I need to look at the legislative history, but the way so you had the first codification of canon law for the Latin Rite in 1917 with the original Code of Canon Law. Prior to that, the laws existed, but they were scattered all over the place and they had never been codified in a single place before. Then in uh, following the 19th, the Second Vatican Council, there was an effort to um, revise the code, the 1917 code, which eventually took forever. And then eventually it got released as the 1983 code of canon law under John Paul II. And we have, you know, the debates among people as they're proposing new formulations of canons and stuff. Um, Meanwhile, over in Eastern canon law was not codified until 1990, but chunks of the Eastern code had been written before that because they need they were needed to provide protection for Middle Eastern Christians um, in dominant Muslim societies, because it's like, OK, you can you, you Christians can do your own thing have your own law, but that means you need to have your own law written down. And so chunks of what became the Eastern Code already existed, like for marriage laws and stuff like that. And the uh, the the impediment of abduxio or abduction, um, I would assume, was dealt with in the marriage law prior to 1990. So mm-hmm. it could be that it was framed neutrally in terms of sex um, in the prehistory of the 1990 code. And that could be because maybe men in the East sometimes do get abducted, you know, into marriage. You got, mm-hmm. got someone whose daughter needs a husband. Maybe if he led her on in certain ways, dad might compel him. You know, so I don't know, maybe that exists or it could be maybe they were just trying to be more egalitarian or it could be that when the code was finally in preparation for its 1990 codification, they said, let's make this neutral, Um, even though it hadn't been neutral previously. Whereas pretty sure what happened after the Second Vatican Council, you got all these dominantly Italians working on revising the new code, and we've got this old canon that frames abduxio in terms of a woman being abducted. And it either didn't occur to them that a man might be abducted, or if someone brought it up, well, should we change this in case a man ever gets abducted? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, do not talk into crazy. And, you know, they just dismissed it. <laughs> that was an Italian <laughs> accent, folks. That's a, <laughs> speaking of Well, even got the hand movement, so it, it's real Italian <laughs> what accent. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, thank you for that explanation. Um, and then we have one more uh, comment. This comes from are uh, way back in episode 112 where we discussed the dagger of the mind the on the original series mark gillies on youtube writes i was watching this episode last night and when dr noel first appears my wife asked what doctor dresses like that and if you're watching the uh, video version of our show you can see <laughs> the picture of dr a, noel she has a mini mini dress yeah <laughs> yes 
She got the standard Starfleet uniform for women yeah, at the time in 1960s future 23rd century. And and um, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, maybe she was hot. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks Mark, for that. That was uh, yeah, that's uh, Dr. Newell. That was yeah, all the the female Starfleet officers back then. Anyway, uh, thank you all for your feedback. We really do appreciate it. And uh, as we continue, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including James M., Adam C., Ann G., Allison K., and Thaddeus P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us this time. We'd love to hear what you think of empathological fallacies. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send an email to Trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. And of course, you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia where we'd love to have a comment from you there as well we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Lower Decks called Parth Ferengi's Heart Place until then Father Cory Stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek thank you Don Jimmy Aiken thank you as well Thank you, and since we just had a Vulcan-centric episode, live long and prosper. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, and remember, enjoy hell, Replicator! Replicator!